We are downtown. We are historic. We are family. We are scriptural. We are First Baptist Church. I understand that it is our tradition to stand and to read scripture together. So would you please stand with me as we listen to and for the Word of God, reading one with another, Philippians 2, 12 through 18. Let's read together. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill His good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may be blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Please be seated. And as you're seated, let's go to God in prayer. Our Lord and our God, we're grateful for your goodness to us. And we're mindful of the privilege that is ours to worship you. And now as we turn our mind's attention and our heart's affection to the Word of God, which is for us a lamp and a light, sharper than a two-edged sword, able to pierce and penetrate, able to shape us and conform us more fully into the image and likeness of Jesus, this is our hope and prayer. That the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. Allow me to offer a word of thanks to Dr. Chris Johnson for the privilege of preaching this morning in series as you continue to think about pure joy, thinking together about Philippians 2, 12 through 18. It was my honor to have Chris as a student, and it's a double honor to learn from those that you once taught. Thank you for your ministry in this place, you and Amy and the girls, Chris. I know that this congregation is grateful for your pastoral ministry and leadership, and this gives you an opportunity to express the same. Would you? Thank you. COVID is not easy on anyone. It's not easy on music ministries. It's not easy on pastoral ministries. And I know you're grateful for the steady, capable leadership of your pastor. I would also like to, if I may, offer you greetings from Baylor University and from the George W. Truett Theological Seminary, her faculty and staff, and especially her students. 
as it happens in the not too distant future, the fall of 2021, we will have the privilege of creating an instructional site of Truett Seminary right here in the city of San Antonio. We are working towards that good end with the help of so many. I am tempted to try to begin to name all of those who have come alongside to serve and assist, but I think that I better not, lest I forget. So just know that so many connected with this remarkable, historical, faithful, uh, generous church have already begun to work toward the good gospel end of bringing theological education, true its style, right here to the city of San Antonio. You wonder what theological education, true its style is? Just take a look at your pastor. We are grateful that Philippians like few other letters, gives us the ability to see Jesus so clearly, to have this habit of mind among ourselves that was also in Christ Jesus, who although He existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped, but He emptied Himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of a man. And being found an appearance as a man, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even cross death. Therefore also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess to God's glory that Jesus Christ is Lord. We may be forgiven for asking the question, pray tell, where do you go from there? <laughs> Having written that powerful passage of praise, let all mortal flesh be silent. And having taken a deep apostolic breath, Paul begins to apply this praise on a practical plane. Anytime you see the word therefore in Scripture, you ask what it's there for. <laughs> Here, it means to connect the praise of Christ with our ways in the world, with our work, with our word. The admonition, the admonition that stands at the center of the text that we just read together is that good and hard word to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Isn't it instructive for us to read carefully because this text does not say work for your salvation? as if there were anything that we could ever do to merit the mercy of God. It's not about our good works. It's about God's great grace displayed to us through the life, death, burial, resurrection, ascension, session, and promised return of Jesus the Christ. One cannot help but wonder as Paul writes this letter, speaking of the great salvation so full and free 
if the Philippian jailer was not among the congregation, you recall, Paul had received a Macedonian vision where a man from Macedonia was saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And Paul takes leave of Troas with a missionary entourage and makes his way to Neapolis, contemporary Kavala, by way of the island Samothrace. They work their way to Philippi and having done so, discover that there's not a synagogue there. So they go by the riverside and there Lydia and her household, this seller of purple goods, becomes a believer and is baptized and the church at Philippi begins. And we learn from Philippians where there is winsome witness of the gospel, there will also be opposition. Here, the shackled apostle sits in Roman captivity so as to say that the apostle may be in bonds, but the gospel goes forward unbounded, unhinderedly the way that Acts ends. You say, you can't end a sentence or a book in an adverb. You never told Luke that. <laughs> and so, Paul and Silas exercise the demon, a spirit of the python associated with the Delphic oracle from the slave girl who allows her owners to make good profit. And as a result, Paul and Silas get sideways with the city. They are accused falsely, not given opportunity for trial of having created sedition, having stirred up the city. They be go before the magistrates that Luke rightly refers to as the stratagoi, and they are stripped and beaten and thrown in prison. And the jailer is told, keep a good eye on them. These type create all kinds of trouble. Interesting. It's a Fascinating way to cause trouble. Here they are in the middle of night, singing songs to God, praying praise to the Lord. And we're told that in the middle of the night that there was an earthquake. Jailhouse rock, as it were. <laughs> Sorry, all my jokes are bad. Variations on the theme of lame. <laughs> and we're told that the prison doors open. The shackles of the prisoners are loosened. And the jailer begins to search for his sword to end his life. And Paul intervenes and says, do not take your life. We're all present and accounted for. And the jailer said, give me a light. And he takes the torch. He goes to Paul and Silas, trembling, bowing, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. You and your household. And they did, and they were. <laughs> and as a result, Paul can say to this Philippian jailer and to any other then and now who will hear. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. 
and we discover that the apostle enjoins us to work out our own salvation in the plural, collectively, not just individually, our own salvation with fear and with trembling, here with awe and wonder. It's a balance, isn't it? We want to speak of the fact that God is near. In fact, later in this letter, in Philippians 4, 5, Paul says, Ha kuriasengus, the Lord, near, as close as our very breath. Ezekiel sees him as a wheel within a wheel. He's the fourth in the flame. If we go to heaven, He's there. If we make our bed in the depths of the earth, He's there. There's nowhere that we can go that God is not. Simultaneously, God is a thrice holy God. Holy, holy, holy. The whole earth is full of His glory. So we work out our salvation, recognizing that God may be our Father, but He's not our old man. He is great and greatly to be praised. And even as He's holy, He calls us to be holy so that we might be blameless and pure without blemish in a world that God loves, but in a world that has lost its way. But as it's still called today, do not harden your heart. Soften yourself to the Savior. And we discover that if we're to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, there are some things that we are going to need to do. There are some things required of us. We do well to be like David of old saying, I will not seek to do anything for the Lord that does not require something of me. We have to have spiritual skin in the game. <laughs> what does it require? What ought we desire if we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling? First of all, friends, obedience is basic. It's foundational. As we sang robustly, we can sing and pray and shout when the Spirit says to. And in so doing, we obey, we trust and obey. We're told in 1 Samuel 15, 22, that to obey is better than sacrifice. Jesus can say, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but you do not do what I say? Jesus can say, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Obey is the way to spell love. Love is spelled O-B-E-Y. If we love him, we will follow him faithfully. I had a friend along the way. You know, all of us are a product of those who pour into our lives. I was walking around your remarkable campus with Chris before the service began. And it 
cause me to smile from, eye, from, from ear to ear, maybe from eye to eye too. That's the way you smile these days, isn't it? You smile with your eyes because you have this thing on you all the time. But I saw royal ambassadors and I remember my own spiritual pilgrimage that so many people along the way helped us know how to obey. One such person was my first boss in ministry, John Wills, and he was fond of saying that what we believe we practice and the rest is just a bunch of religious talk. How are we to work out our own salvation? We are to recognize that to obey is basic. But not only that, we are to recognize that God is at work. Your pastor stood before you to say, despite COVID and its challenges, we can still see ways that God is moving near and far. God is at work. As Paul begins this little letter to the Philippians, he says that the one who began a good work in your midst will be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. God is active, not passive. He does not sleep, nor does he slumber. That's why we can do everything through Christ who is strengthening us. God is at work in us in order that God might be at work through us. For by grace, the apostle can proclaim, you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast, for we are his poema. (laughs) We are his poem, created in Christ Jesus for the purpose of good works, which God prepared beforehand that we might walk in them. Sometimes faith and works are unhelpfully juxtaposed. Truth be told, they're either side of the same coin. And because God is at work within us, we can do good works. And we're grateful that the gospel is able to go forward as a result. I grew up in children's choirs. I'm so grateful that people gave me a song to sing, even if I can't sing it especially well. I remember in one of the children's uh, programs, it was one of the children's musicals, he's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. It only took a day to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth, and Jupiter and Mars. How loving and patient he must be. He's still working on me and you in us, so that we would be less of what we used to be and more of what we ought to be, and all for God's good pleasure. If we are going to be a people that are living out, working out our salvation with fear and trembling, we also need to be mindful that complaining is toxic. Pastor Chris says to the children, And he also says to the entire congregation, (laughs) do everything, Paul says, without grumbling or complaining. A former colleague of mine, Doug Dickens, was fond of saying in my hearing that whining is not a spiritual gift. (laughs) 
and it's not. When Israel was at her best, she was leaning into the love and the light of God, trusting in the one who was for them the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night, offering manna and water in sufficient store and supply. When Israel was at her worst, and heirs of Israel all the same, we suffer from spiritual forgetfulness. And we want to go back to slavery. We yearn for the flesh pots of Egypt. Paul says, do all things without murmuring. For those of you who are interested in language, I point out to you this. For those of you who are not, just hang on a minute. We'll get going. Paul says, do everything without grumbling. This is a fascinating word. It's an onomatopoeic word. Gungusmas. Do everything without murmuring. You know, sometimes when a coach would tell me that he wanted me to run the route that way instead of this way, or he wanted me to shoot my free shots that way instead of this way, you know what I did. I did it. And I'm murmuring under my breath all the while. (laughs) Don't do things that way. That's not the way. Because grumbling guts gratitude. You want to puncture gratitude? Just start grumbling. But we are to offer a winsome witness. We're to be stars in the sky. Just like the stars at night are big and bright, deep in the heart of Texas, people should be able to see our good works and give praise to the Father, the one who is in heaven. Ultimately, complaining threatened the Philippian fellowship. Why else would Paul need to say, I urge you, you Odia, I urge you, Suntuke, to think the same thing in the Lord and call the loyal yoke fellow, whoever that might have been, to come alongside those who had struggled alongside the apostle in the gospel. It was easier for them and for us to work at cross purposes than to work for the purpose of the cross. And that's why Paul says, be of the same mind, maintain the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do not look out for your own interest, but for the interest of the other. Friends, If we want to work out our own salvation, we must recognize that it's a long obedience in the same direction. Steadfastness is necessary. We said it this way in Baptist Training Union, that the steadfast faith is the continuing faith. And we discover that we're called to stand firm We're called to hold fast, to strive together. Paul does not want to run or labor in vain. The Philippians and we 
are called to be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that our labor in the Lord is not in vain. No one ever said it would be easy. We follow a Lord who declared, you want to be my disciple? Come on, deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow me. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in the cost of discipleship, saw this more clearly than most. When he spoke of a cheap grace and a costly grace, he endorsed the latter and said, it's costly because it costs us our lives. And it's grace because it's the only true life. If we are to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, one other item we need to consider, all of this taken right from the lines of the apostles' letter, if we're to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, we must recognize that rejoicing is required. Sometimes in our curriculum, there is a class that a student would like to take. We do not allow the student to take some classes until they've taken other classes. Those other classes are known as prerequisites. I'm reminded of Rich Mullins who used to sing that it don't do to preach on Matthew if you have not yet read Mark. <laughs> the idea is if you want to take Greek 2, it's a good idea to take Greek 1. Those are prerequisites. For the Christian, rejoicing is requisite. It's something that is not optional. It's essential. That's why throughout the course of this series, you all have said, we're seeking pure joy. Not a feeling that we feel when we feel a feeling we've never felt before, but joy. The flag flown from the castle of our hearts when the king is in residence. Joy. The ability to sing songs in stocks in the middle of the night. Joy that counts it a blessing to offer one's life to the one who is life abundant and everlasting. It was that congregational minister, A.W. Tozier, a towering figure from the previous century, a devotional writer who rivals few equals who once said, Christians owe it to the world to be supernaturally joyful. That's true. And we also owe it to the Lord. Oh, love that will not let me go, Matheson could write, I rest my weary soul in thee. I give thee back the life I owe that in thine ocean depths its flow may richer, fuller be. We rejoice. There's a 
concentration of rejoicing like no other place in Philippians found right here at the end of the text that we read where Paul says, I rejoice and rejoice with you all. You rejoice and rejoice with me. Rejoicing resounds all around. Rejoice, ye pure in heart. Be glad and sing because he's put a new song in our hearts, a word of praise unto our God. I don't know about you, but when I bump up against Philippians 2.12, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It stops me in my spiritual tracks. Sometimes, Scripture should, in fact, comfort the afflicted. And sometimes it should afflict the comfortable. This text does that to me. But when we place this intimidating text in context, we begin to discover it's doable. Not because we pull ourselves up by our own spiritual bootstraps, but because we're mindful that we can be a joyful, grateful, persevering, obedient people who look to and depend upon a good and yes, a great God, a God who accepts us just as we are. No conditions, just as we are without a single plea. I have no other argument. I have no other plea. He accepts us just as we are. But He sees us as we can be. More fully forged and formed into the character and likeness of the living and loving Lord Jesus. So, the Word that comes from the Word this very day for those who have ears to hear and eyes to see, is seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near, and you will seek and find Him if you search for Him with all of your hearts. Friends, let's pray together as we ask the Lord to seal this Word in our lives. Lord and God, we come to you gratefully and humbly. And we ask of you, Lord, that you would empower us so that we might be a people who sing forth your praise through our words, yes, through our ways, through our lips, right, but through our life. Because, God, we are grateful for all that you've done. And we want to love you, the Lord of love, with our lives. Seal this commitment. Seal yourself, Spirit of God, upon our lives, even here, even now, through Christ our Lord. Amen.
First Baptist Church has been broadcasting its services of new life and historic faith for 46 years. We would like to ask that you continue to pray with us for this ministry and also for your financial support so that we can continue this ministry for years to come. Thank you.